can't help but think about how, how much God <clears throat> uh, loves this season of Advent. And not, maybe not for the same reasons we do, not just the, the lights and the trees and the presents and all that. Um, but all around the world, there are people who are coming in contact with images of a baby. And the opportunity God has to take curiosity and questions and maybe doubt and concerns, but people who may see images and ask questions about this holiday, the opportunity God has to remind the world that 2,000 years ago, God came to this earth in human flesh and God keeps coming. Like God did this, God stepped into the mess of the world and God keeps stepping into the mess of the world. What a great opportunity for God. I just came off sabbatical on Monday. According to my buddy Paxton, I came off sabotage. He was like, how was sabotage? In some ways, sabbatical can feel like sabotage. Our first Sunday of sabbatical, Casey and I chose to visit a church. We have uh, Truth's basketball coach. Uh, we've uh, become friends with him, and there are a few people at the school and players on that team who attend Oak Grove Missionary Baptist Church. So Casey and I told them, one day we're going to come and we're going to visit with you. At Oak Grove, it's about 2,000 people who showed up for church that day. There were three white people in the house, we think. Uh, Casey and I were there, and there was one other woman who would appear on the screen, but we never saw her in the crowd. So we don't know if they like just throw the white lady up on the screen every once in a while in their worship service or if she was really there. But we were treated like family. And the worship service went on for three hours. And we were told about this before it started. We were told, like, hey, how long does your church have church? And we're like, you know, usually 70, 75 minutes. And they started laughing, and they said, we call that the opening set and announcements, all right? So uh, anybody here who ever complains about a 78-minute worship service at Sycamore View, I am sending you to Oak Grove Missionary Baptist Church to grow your tolerance of how to sit in church and enjoy church for three hours, all right? There was energy, electricity. My friend, uh, Pastor, um, uh, Pastor Johnson, stepped up, and uh, he's also the chaplain of the Memphis Grizzlies. So let's pray for him and the work he may can do for Jaw over the next uh, week or so, all right? Uh, but he, he stood up and he said that last week he did a funeral for a kid in his church, a young man who had been murdered, died, died in gun violence. And Pastor Johnson stepped up to do this funeral and when he did right before he stepped up he looked out and he saw i mean a room full of people who came to this uh, funeral and in that room he noticed just all these sagging pants and and people wearing ball caps and cleavage and and he decided in a moment to rewrite the intro of his message and his intro was that when you come into a place like this there needs to be some respect and reverence in your life for what we are stepping into so he stepped up to offer what he felt like was how he had changed his message to speak to some of these people who had come in that room. The smell of weed was everywhere. So he rewrote that first part of his message. And when he stood up, he sensed the presence of God say, don't speak what you think you're about to speak. Instead, speak a word of gratitude that these people are here. Thank them for being here. Because there's a time and a place for any church, every church, to talk to people about behavior but there is a time and a place to welcome people into our presence. No matter what they look like, no matter what they smell like, no matter where they've been. So here at the Sycamore View Church, you are welcome just as you are. And we hope that we can help teach you the ways of Christ in deeper ways, but we're glad you're here, whether you are in person or online. I want you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. And we're going to get there in just a few minutes. 
But in Luke chapter 1, it's a story of uh, the birth of Christ. If you're looking for a birth narrative of Jesus to read by yourself or with your family over the next few weeks, uh, Luke chapter 1 and 2 and Matthew chapter 1 and 2, that's pretty much all you have. It's just four chapters. And in Luke chapter 1, you have this, pri- this priest, his name is Zechariah, and Zechariah has a wife, Elizabeth, and Zechariah, they have a baby named John. And we're going to get to the story in just a moment, but there's this one moment when a messenger of heaven gives a message to Zechariah and says, here's what your son's going to be known for. Here's what your son has been put on this earth to do. And two different times, it is the word turn that shows up. What your son's going to do is God is going to use your son, John who we would come to know as John the Baptist. God's going to use your son, John, to help people turn. I want you to think about the word turn this morning. In fact, turn to your neighbor and say, it's your turn. Can you do that? Can you say, it's your turn? Look at your neighbor and say, it's time for you to turn. All right? Great job, great job. All right, I want you to think about the word turn because in your life, can you imagine how many, how many times every single day you turn? Like you just make a turn. Like it's probably impossible for you to even count. The moment you wake up, you probably turn to either turn off the alarm or hit snooze. Most of you probably turn to get to the bathroom. You turn down hallways. You turn to get into the kitchen. You turn to go to the garage. When you get in your car, you make turns to go wherever it is you're going. Like, none of you had a straight shot to Sycamore View today. You made right turns, you made left turns, you came to intersections, and you made turns. And especially in Memphis, when you come to intersections and made left turns, we're, we're like asking Jesus for protection as we do, right? But you either turned right into this parking lot, or you made a left turn into this parking lot. And if it's your first time here, I'm going to help you out. If you're leaving church today and you're trying to get back to the interstate or you're going to Captain D's for lunch, if you come over here to my right and you exit that parking lot, when you come to Sycamore View, you're going to realize you can't make a left turn. You can hop the curb. You have to make a right turn. Then you have to make a U-turn. In life, I know, illegal U-turn, right? In life, I want you just to think in life, there are easy turns we make and sometimes devastating turns we make. In life, there are turns that sometimes we choose some of the turns we make in life. And sometimes decisions are made for us and we're left to make turns either to God or away from God. Last Thursday, I was on an airplane trying to get back from Dallas-Fort Worth. When we uh, taxied away from the, uh, the airport, we're trying to get out to the runway. I fell asleep. It's the only place I can nap. I've told you that before. I hate naps. I nap on planes. I woke up 30 minutes later, and we were still there on the runway. Hadn't left yet. And then we are the next plane in line to leave, and the pilot comes on and says, well, we have been informed there's weather coming through Arkansas, so they've rerouted us. We have to go south, and then we have to make our way to Memphis, and because of that, we are low on fuel, so we have to return to go get more fuel. By the time we got back to the gate to get fuel, the pilot's timed out. Isn't this just fun how it works sometimes? They timed out. Now, on that plane, we sat there for three and a half hours, and we were taught that when it comes to a plane having a turn around, it's not as easy as you think. If you're walking through the grocery store and you have to turn around, it's an easy turn. You just turn around and you walk a different way. But if you're on a cruise ship, someone falls overboard and that cruise ship needs to turn around, now it's going to be a much harder turn. In life, sometimes there are easy turns we make and sometimes there are difficult turns we have to make. 
So what I did for sabbatical, sabotage, whatever you want to call it, for 28 days is I had fewer turns in my life to make so that I could turn my face to God and limit some distractions in my life and seek the presence of the Lord. I had a dear friend, he was praying for me. He was laboring in prayer for me. I didn't know it, but my first week of sabbatical, he had devoted some extended time just to pray for me and for the rest God was giving me. And as he was praying, he said he heard his, his Yuffie. He heard like, in fact, if you show this picture right here, he heard his, his little robo vacuum going in his house. How many of you have these in your house? Anybody? I mean, I, we don't have one yet. Maybe we'll get one one day. I don't know how our dog would do with one. But here's my buddy who's laboring in prayer for me. And then he hears his Yuffie, and as he hears it, he hears his little robo-vacuum cleaner, and as he hears it, what it says is, time for your battery to be recharged. So then he just changed all his energy in prayer and praying for me, like, time for your battery to be recharged. I want you to think in your own life today, what is it like for your battery to be recharged? And sometimes our batteries need to be recharged because we're broken, and sometimes it's not because we're broken. We just need to be recharged. So what would it look like if you take the last few weeks of the year for you to take inventory? And what is the turn you need to make in your life to God and possibly what are things you may need to turn from as 2023 comes to an end so that when it comes to 2024, you return to God and you're turning away from things that may hold you down or be too heavy or they're not helping you get on a path with Christ. I want to take just a moment to thank the ministers who've preached over the last few weeks. Back in August, we formed a little preaching cohort. We developed a five-week preaching series and we spent a few weeks where we got together and we read the Bible together and we challenged each other and we prayed for each other and we asked questions. And I've listened to all four of these messages over the last few days. I love Tyler and Annika, how they talked about God the Deliverer and how Annika confessed that she may be the biggest Swifty in the world, all right? She loves Taylor Swift. I love how Tyler and Annika talk to us about sometimes we find ourselves on both parts of the Red Sea, either looking for deliverance or having been delivered. Jim Hinkle preached on God of steadfast love and throughout his entire message just unpacked for us the faithfulness of God, the steadfast love of God, and he turned, he made up a new word, I think it was a Hasidians or something like this, you know, that there's this word hesed that we receive from God and then we live out in the world. And I didn't get to see it because I was listening on a podcast, but apparently Jim cultured some of you and taught you the dance, the gritty, which on the podcast sounds like nothing happened from the stage, but our boy Meji may have acted it out like back there somewhere, maybe. A couple of weeks ago, Josh Nix talked to us about God, the creator, and just challenged us, especially toward the end of his message, to live in awe of God. And last week, Anna talked to us about God who steps into this world, and she preached on hope. And listening to the message, I bet she spoke the word hope over a hundred times. There was never a moment that you thought, I've heard the word too many times. Let's not mention it again, but just, I, I need to hear it again. I need the word one more time. And can we show our appreciation for these four, five ministers and the work they've done over the last few weeks? I'm grateful. Today around the world, there are people who are focusing on the word peace. It'll be a part of prayer, it'll be a part of Advent devotional series, and I want you just to see, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, the focus of the message today is not on peace, but the word peace shows up a couple of times in the birth narrative of Christ. 
This guy, Zachariah, at the end of Luke chapter 1, he, pre- he kind of sings or like presents this pretty long like prayer to God. And the very last statement in Luke chapter 1, verses 78 and 79, you read this, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And I want you just to capture how peace is talked about in this birth narrative of Christ. That this isn't a state of being, it's a journey that you are on. Like there is a path of peace which takes movement. Like we're on it. It, You're on this journey moving toward peace as we are helping to bring peace into this world. In Luke chapter 2 verses 13 and 14, the shepherds come in contact with the good news that Jesus is coming to the world and the voices of heaven are singing a song that the shepherds hear. And it's this, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Peace is something we work toward. It is something we work for. We continue to work for the peace of God in the world. Now, for the next few weeks, we're in a series called When Heaven Speaks. And I've been working on this for a few months because one thing I noticed in the birth narratives of Jesus is that a lot of times we focus on what Mary has to say or what Elizabeth has to say or what uh, the, the prophet Simeon or the prophetess Anna, what they have to say. But there's actually voices from heaven that come to confirm this moment of Jesus entering into human flesh. It's audible voices that people hear from heaven, helping them know what is happening with this whole story of Jesus coming into the world. So over the next few weeks, and I'm including December 23rd, our special night of worship, as one of these four messages, I just want to show you these four, where you have the story of Zechariah, and you can take a picture, just write these down if you want to read these over the next few weeks. And we're going to talk just a little bit about Zechariah today. But there's Zechariah who hears a voice from God. Mary hears a voice from heaven. You have the shepherds who are out in the field in Luke chapter 2 who hear voices from heaven. And then in Matthew chapter 1, Joseph hears a voice from heaven. So heaven speaks. And the voice that comes in all four of these stories, the voice that comes is a voice of an angel. All four of them, it's an angel who meets people, who speaks to people. It's a, it's a messenger. It's angels who speak. Now, angels are not described. Like here's what the angel looked like, but it does not keep Hollywood or any of us from trying to like let people know this is what angel looks like especially a lot of us in Christmas like you may get Christmas cards and they're they're angels and angels always have halos and they have they have wings you know I don't know some movies come to mind Do you remember John Travolta in the movie Michael with these huge angels and he's you know smoking all the time which is I don't know if that's the image that comes to mind when you think about angels you have the movie angels in the outfield where the angels come and help a sports team like do good Uh, Maybe one of my favorite angels of all time, you have Denzel who played the angel in The Preacher's Wife. And of course, it's a wonderful life, you have an angel. But in almost any movie you think about angels, it's either angels with wings or angels trying to get wings. But when you read about these four stories that I'm going to talk about over the next few weeks, angels aren't described Because as Zechariah and Mary and Joseph and the shepherds went on to talk about this experience they had with the messenger from God, apparently for them, the description wasn't that important. The words and the content is what stuck. Uh, You have location that shows up in all four of these. So when heaven speaks for Zechariah, 
It happens when Zacharias is in the presence of God in the temple. So he's in the sanctuary of God, and the voice comes to him. For Mary, it's just in her home that she hears the voice of the Lord. For Joseph, it's in a dream. And for the shepherds, they're out in the field working. So I want you just to look at the screen right now of the four voices of heaven that come in the birth narrative of Christ and just think, like, where will God not speak? Like, where will the voice of heaven not speak? The voice of heaven may speak in a place like this when we're in a sanctuary, in a worship service. We're singing to God. We're hearing about God. And heaven may speak in those places, but heaven can speak in a job and on a workplace. Heaven can speak in a dream. And as you see heaven speak in the birth narratives of Christ or throughout the Bible, sometimes the question isn't, is heaven speaking, but is heaven being heard? The voice is coming. Are we hearing the voice? Now, I want you to notice there's this flow. All four times heaven speaks in the birth narratives of Christ, there is a flow, and the flow is this. First, what you get is this. Do not be afraid. For all four of them, do not be afraid which is followed by a name. Now, this isn't the case with the shepherds, but it is the case with Zechariah, with Mary, and with Joseph. It's do not be afraid, Mary. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Do not be afraid, Joseph. It goes to show you that God's going to speak into fear, because who wouldn't be freaking out if you were in the present, like an angel just showed up? Or all the things that are going on in the world, there are a lot of reasons to be afraid. So the voice of heaven is don't be afraid and and it goes to show you we serve a very personal relational God who knows our name. Thirdly, you get statements about Jesus. So it's don't be afraid, Joseph. Don't be afraid, Mary. Don't be afraid, Zechariah. And then it's a statement about Christ. And I think this is so true. When When heaven speaks into our life today, when God speaks into our life, it's not just to pat you on the back or pat you on the shoulder and tell you how great of a kid you are, even though I think affirmation of God can come. It's the voice of heaven, even to this day, is trying to point us to Christ, who is the source of life, fulfillment, favor. And last but not least, there's mission and assignment for all four of the groups of people who hear the voices of God. There's a mission for them. Now, I don't want to say that the voice of God in your life today has to follow this formula right here, because I don't think God, like, puts himself in boxes. But it seems like a pretty good way for God to still speak into our lives today. God does not want us to be held hostage by fear or anything like it. God wants you to know that God knows your name. God wants you to set your face to Christ, to know who Jesus is. And to the day you die, God will have a mission and an assignment for your life. Now, I want you to see in Zechariah's life, let me point out just a few things to you. In Zechariah, or uh, in, in Luke chapter 1, verse 5 through 7, it says this. And, the time, and, as, and as you read, as I read these three verses, I want you just to think about the, the descriptions that come to mind when you think about who Zechariah is. So think about just the descriptions. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. And both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. So just in these three verses, let's stay right there just for a moment. You find out he's a priest. He's a servant of God. He's old. 
He's righteous. He's blameless. You get the sense that for him and for this couple, he and Elizabeth, they are passionate about the heart of God. They have given years and years of their life to the service of the Lord, but they're without a baby. It's a powerful description of a man with high character who is obedient, who is persistent, and please listen to this. Even though there were moments in his life where Zechariah got a no from God about circumstances in his life, he kept saying yes to God. Like there's going to be moments in your life when you're going to get a no from the Lord or a not yet from the, from the Lord or not right now from the Lord. And even when you get the no or the not yet or not right now, you keep saying yes to God because even in the midst of some of those no's that come into your life, there are still thousands of yeses that God is speaking over you every day. So don't let a no about your circumstance keep you from living out a yes to the Lord. It's what Zechariah does. In verse 8 and 9, what we read is this. That once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. So I want you just to be reminded, most of us were probably raised in churches of Christ or evangelical settings, but for a priest, a priest was a pastor of the people. A priest's responsibility was to go before God on behalf of the people. There's a location And in this location, Zechariah's heart is right. For him, it's not just a job to do. He is serving the people. And then here's what heaven says. Here's how heaven speaks in verse 11 through 13. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And I want to stay on this image just for a moment, all right? And you are to call him John. So I want you to just to catch this image. If Zechariah is in a place of worship, doing his job. He's in a place of worship, with an obedient heart. And the voice of God doesn't always have to come in the sanctuary, but in this story, it's in the sanctuary, it's in the temple of God. And I want you to think about Zechariah. There is, he showed up. There was faithful presence in his life. And there was an obedient heart. And when we choose to show up in places of worship with an obedient heart before God, it clears up our ability to hear things from the Lord. And when we show up with cynical hearts, it clogs up the way for us to hear things from the Lord. For Zechariah, he comes into the presence of God and he has an obedient heart, even though there are some circumstances in his life that he does not appreciate or enjoy. He is there with an obedient heart and now he is able to hear something from the Lord. Sometimes we want to hear from God, but are we present? Are we available? Are we obedient? Every Tuesday on my sabbatical, so I had four Tuesdays, I practiced uh, lengthy periods of silence before the Lord. I'm trying to exercise this muscle in my spiritual life of having time with the Lord where I'm not the one talking, but I am, I'm just listening to God or reflecting on a verse. So the first Tuesday, I took 30 minutes, and I just grew that by 10 minutes every week. So the second week was 40 minutes, 50 minutes, an hour. I would set a timer. I would leave my phone in the other room and uh, light a candle and just lay before God. And guess what? 
looking back on those four weeks, I don't feel like I heard anything from the Lord, but I didn't feel like God let me down. And I live with this conviction in my life that I think God looks upon us so often and says, there is so much I would love to speak to you, but you're not giving me the time of day. Like there's so much I want to reveal to you, but you're not slowing down or paying enough attention just to hear or to see all that it is that God graciously and willingly wants to reveal. All right, so a few more things real quick, all right? How do we know the voice of God spoke to Zechariah? And what we'll talk about next week and the next couple of weeks is how do we know that the voice of God, the voice of heaven spoke to Mary or to Joseph? Because they are the only people in a space who had an encounter with the Lord. So they were able to bear witness. They were able to give testimony of what it is that they heard. So they shared their experience. It's not on the screen, but in Luke chapter 1 verse 60, you have Elizabeth who bears witness to Zechariah's encounter with God. So even though for her whole nine months of pregnancy, she could not hear the voice of her husband, which many women may be like, oh, praise God, it's an answer to prayer, is what I've been asking for. He was silent, couldn't speak. Yet somehow there was communication happening that she was aware of the content that God had spoken into Zechariah's life when he was in the temple with God. Another reason we know Zechariah, like he really did hear from the Lord is like everything God revealed to him played out just as God said in the life of John the Baptist. All of it. I want you to read or hear me. I mean, here's what, here's what heaven said. Here's, when the voice of heaven came to, to Zechariah, here's what heaven said. He will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And he is never to take wine or strong drink, is what that literally says, strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. I want to stay on that image right there because it's one thing for Zechariah, who's now going to be a father and a priest to receive this from God, but now he had the responsibility along with Elizabeth to help John the Baptist live into this calling. And for Zechariah, who was a priest who knew his Bible really well, Zechariah probably knew what happened to most prophets in the Bible. Most prophets were rejected. Most prophets died. And now he is told, your son's gonna, he's going to grow up to be this prophet. And the task of God on his life is to help turn people from their sin and from their ways and to turn to Jesus. So kudos and props to Zechariah and Elizabeth for not rejecting the voice of God that was spoken over their son but to help him live into what it meant to be sold out for God in his life. There's this word turn, and I'm, this is going to stay on the screen for the rest of our time, even through communion. And the word turn, I think this could be really helpful for some of you in the space today, in this space. There are a few different ways that uh, it is talked about in the New Testament. For some, it can be to return to a point where one has been, or to change direction or to cause a person to change belief or course of conduct with focus on the thing to which one turns. 
So as you think about what turn needs to happen in your life today, like where do you need a turn? Like what do you need a turn from? What, how, how do you need a turn to God? When you think about the turns in your own life, is it a return? Do you need a turn from something? What does it look like for you to turn to God? But as you see this word turn in the New Testament, it doesn't show up all the time. It's not a word that's used all the time. But in the Gospels, in the life of Jesus, you know who it is who's turning? Usually it's Jesus. You have a story in Mark chapter 8 when the disciples were really confused. And in chapter 8, verse 33, it says Jesus turned to them. He turns to people in their confusion. In Mark chapter 5, you had a woman who had been sick for a dozen years. And she thought, if I can just get to Jesus and I can just reach out my hand and touch just a little bit of his clothes, then I will be healed. And in that moment, it says Jesus turned to her. Jesus turns to people in their sickness. Like Jesus turns to you. It's not just Jesus wanting you to turn to him. It's Jesus who has modeled for us how the face of God turns to his people. No, no matter where they are in life, like God turns to us. And in the bread and the cup every single week, we are reminded how the face of God has turned to us and how the face of God continues to turn to us. And as we take the bread and the cup today in gratitude and appreciation for all Jesus has done, may our faces turn to God today and this week. Uh, Suzanne and Lever Nice are going to be uh, on the walls to receive people for prayer. Joe Ward, Patrick Parson are your two shepherds who are receiving you today. And if you all will go ahead and go to your places, and I'll be up here to the left. And if there's a turning in your life that we can pray over, pray for, as we make our way to the table to get the bread and the cup, you have places where you can go, safe places. If there's anything you need to bring in front of this church today, Patrick is the shepherd up to my right today. And he's here to receive you. And we bow our heads, close our eyes. And for all in this uh, worship time today, Jesus invites you to his table. Not because you are worthy, but because he has done everything that is needed for the worthiness of God to be upon us for eternity. Uh, we don't get to come take the bread and the cup today because of all the good things we have done in our lives, but because of the good thing Jesus did to sacrifice his life for us. It is by his mercy. So may the bread and the cup be the healing agent for some of you in this space today. May it be the passion and courage that we need to live boldly for Christ. And Jesus, for all you have done and all you have invited us into, uh, we say thank you. So we take today with grateful hearts. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And the whole church said.